questions and answers. The Christian faith is constantly under assault from the false ideas of the culture and the persuasive preaching of false teachers. What is the call of the disciple of Christ in the midst of a culture that is hostile to the message of Christ? Jude challenged Christians through the ages to contend for the faith. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, Pat will be presenting an inspiring message on the call to contend for our faith in Christ. We hope you enjoy today's show. Now, here's our host, Pat Zucran. Jude tells us then how to contend for the faith, how to be contenders for the faith, believers who can courageously stand against the tide and be salt and light in the midst of a dark world going astray. And he gives us five imperatives here. He says, number one, remember the warnings of the apostles, right? He says, go back to the word of God, the teaching of Christ and the apostles and the prophets. Don't be looking for new revelation coming from new apostles or new prophets. He says, go backwards. Look and remember the teachings of Christ and the apostles. Deviating, forgetting their teachings is the major cause for spiritual deterioration. Then he says, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. To build means to erect a superstructure, a strong powerful building and he says build yourselves up it's in the plural meaning together as a body of believers in Christ edify encourage and build one another up in contrast to the false teachers that bring disunity and tear the body of Christ apart true teachers true disciples of Christ build up the body and edify and as Ephesians says till we all attain the unity of the faith the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. We are all called to study the scriptures and to grow in our faith in Christ. Then he says that we are to pray in the spirit, be filled, empowered by the Holy Spirit as we pray daily and regularly, develop a strong prayer life. Then he says, keep yourselves in the love of God as you must cultivate your love relationship with your wife so cultivate your love relationship with God. One way to do that, Jesus says in John 15, 9, abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love to consistently obey the teachings of Christ. It's continual sin and a lifestyle of sin that led false teachers to fall out of love and away from God. A consistent, obedient life to Christ is what the disciple is called to, and that will build your love for God in Jesus Christ. And then he says, waiting for the Lord's return. The Greek word there, waiting, means to look expectantly for. For what? The blessed hope, the return of Christ for his church. This is not a passive, let's just wait and see mentality, but it's an expecting kind of hope. Now, when engaging false teaching, there'll be three types of people that we encounter, and each one you need to approach a little differently. We are not called to go into retreat or surrender. We're called to go out 
into the world and engage our culture and world for Christ. And as you do, you're going to run three kinds of people, right? And there's different approaches for different kinds of people. Jude says here, for the first, have mercy on the doubting. So those exposed to false teaching, they're in a state of confusion and they're doubting, all right? And they need to be dealt with gently, with patience, with love, and with mercy. Okay? They need a loving, gentle approach. Others who are involved in apostate teaching need a stronger response. And he says, snatch others from the fire. And those steeped in false teaching or an apostate teaching, he says, literally, you got to have a stronger response. And when you turn someone who's steeped in false teaching away from error to truth, you've literally snatched them out of the fire from the judgment of God that would have come upon them if they stayed on that same course. And third, he says, to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the garments stained by flesh. For others show mercy, but also hating even the garments stained by flesh, meaning show mercy on those involved in false and apostate teaching. But be careful that you yourself do not get enticed and ensnared in the false teaching. Hey, those are three kinds of people you're going to approach and three different kinds of approaches. I remember several years ago, there was a man who came to our Bible study, Steve, and he came in, he was looking, you know, quite distraught. And he sat through our Bible study, and at the end of the Bible study, he said, Pat, can you do me a favor? I said, sure. He said, will you meet with my oldest daughter, Stephanie? I said, oh, okay. He says, she's studying with the Jehovah Witnesses. And in fact, my whole family is Jehovah Witnesses. My two daughters, my wife, my brother-in-law, my mother-in-law, you know, everyone I live with here in Hawaii, they're all Jehovah Witnesses. Would you meet with her? And at first I want to say, no, I'm really busy, you know, but I thought, you know, this is what God has called us to do. And so I said, all right, I'll meet with her. And so we met and we were talking for about half an hour. She was asking questions, bringing up verses, and I was showing her how these were misinterpreted, misapplied. Look at the context, patiently walking through it with her. And after about half an hour, she said, oh, by the way, I invited my two Jehovah Witness teachers to come and join us. And I said, oh, great. Thanks for telling me. Then I saw them coming out of McDonald's. You know, we were on the outside. They came out holding their cups of coffee, and the two women stared at me, and our eyes met because we had had long dialogues before. They knew exactly who I was. And you could see in their face, they're going, oh, it's him. And they slowly came over to the round table and sat down staring at me. And I said, oh, how are you doing? Stephanie and I are discussing here about who is Jesus Christ. And the older lady looked and said, you have committed spiritual fornication. Stephanie, this is a fornicator here. Don't listen to this man. He's a false teacher. And I said, okay, well, that's fine. Let's look at what the word of God has to say and make our decision from there. Now, let's take a look at what the Bible says about who is Jesus. And I said, one of the verses we're discussing is John 20, 28. Thomas looked at the resurrected Christ and Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas calls Jesus Christ his Lord and God. And she wouldn't even open her Bible. She said, you are a spiritual fornicator. Do you understand that? You are committing fornication with the devil. And I said, but I'm, I'm, we're looking at God's word here. All right? That's fornicating with the devil. I said, I think you need to relook at your theology. And I said, well, let's take a look at another verse. Matthew 1.23. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
I said, read the same in your Bible. And she went and looked at her Bible, and she says, you are a false teacher, a fornicator. Stephanie, this man has committed spiritual fornication. Don't listen to this man. You know, and the other partners started jumping in, and they started really just railing on me. And I was sitting there going, oh, gosh, is this what I came here for? And I said, all right, if you don't want to listen to the Word of God, let's, let's read a Jehovah Witness article. You know, this one predicts the return of Christ in 1914. This one, 1920, they put that away. Uh, you're the, you know. And uh, I, I smiled at her and I said, you don't even want to read your own literature? And she said, we don't want to read anything from the devil. I said, okay. Well, after about 20 minutes of just getting lambasted by them, they stood up and they said, Stephanie, this man is a spiritual fornicator. Let's go. And Stephanie kind of looked at me and hesitated. And the lady said, Stephanie, let's go. So she got up and they went off. And I thought, well, what a waste of time. What a complete waste of time, you know? Well, I went back to Dallas, uh, came back a year later on Christmas break, and Steve gave me a call and he said, hey, can I meet you for dinner? I said, sure. So we met for dinner, and with him was his oldest daughter, Stephanie. I said, hi, Stephanie. And she said, you know, we talked a little, and she said, I have come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I said, well, what happened? And she said, well, you know, I noticed. You were sitting there patiently answering all my questions, and then when they came... You wanted to discuss the Bible, and they wouldn't even open their Bibles with you. You know, and I said, it really got me thinking. Why don't they want to open their Bibles with you? And the things that you shared, I went back and studied, and I asked, and I realized, indeed, the Jesus of the Bible is different from the Jesus of the Watchtower. So I gave my life to Christ. Well, went back to Dallas, came back a year later. Steve and Stephanie called and said, can we meet you for dinner? I said, sure. We met for dinner, and they had brought their younger daughter, Serena. From what her older sister shared, she had come to faith in Jesus Christ. So we had a great dinner, and I went back to Dallas, came back a year later. They called me, can we meet for dinner? I said, sure. Three of them were there with their uncle George. George had come to faith in Christ as a result of those two girls. So we shared a great dinner. I went back, returned a year later, they called me for dinner. Four of them showed up with Steve's wife. She had become a believer in Christ as the result of what the family was sharing with her. Hey, and this, over a series of, of several years, their entire family has come to faith in Jesus Christ. <laughs> Amen. There was an example of having mercy with those who doubt, being patient, being gentle, have mercy on those who are doubting. There's other times you need another approach. I remember just a few months ago, I was getting ready to go on radio and I was studying diligently and the secretary from the church where I office comes in to my room and says, Pat, can you uh, come into the office? I said, yeah, what's up? She goes, I got two Mormon missionaries in there. I invited them to come meet with me. I didn't know when they were coming, but they're here. Can you meet with them? And I want to say, no, I'm getting ready for radio. But I thought, all right, okay. So I went out there and, you know, met the two young men, and we began talking. And, of course, as Mormons do, they began sharing how they're Christians too. You know, they're Christians just like us, so come on, and, and let's work together and join the Mormon church. And I looked at him and I said, you know that Mormonism and biblical Christianity are very, very different. They're almost two different religions. And they said, oh, no, it's not. They said, uh, Mormonism is Christianity. 
We're one and the same. We just have extra revelation from our prophets. That's all. And I said, no. I said, they are as different as night and day. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, let's just take a look at the concept of God. Mormonism teaches. And they looked at me and said, we believe in one God, but three persons, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. And I said, no, you don't. I said, Mormonism teaches that God was once a man, like you or I, who through his good life attained exaltation to godhood, like hundreds of other gods before him were once men on other planets who through their good life attained exaltation to godhood and ruled their planets with their many wives, procreating spirit children for the new world. And the two just laughed and shook their heads. We've never heard anything like that. Never, never heard anything like that. Elder John, have you? No, I've never. And they just kind of laughed. Never heard anything like that. Where'd you hear that? I said, you ever heard of a guy named Joseph Smith? Founder president of your church. Ever heard of Bingham Young? Second president. I said, no, where, show us. I said, all right. Fortunately, I had my iPhone right there. And so I could pull up my presentation. And I said, well, here you go. Mormon doctrine. This is a key theology work of the Mormon church written by Bruce McConkie, their theologian and apologist. And when it comes to God, I said, you believe there are many gods. He writes this, a plurality of gods exist. There's an infinite number of holy personages drawn from worlds without number who have passed on to exaltation and are thus gods. The universe is filled with gods who are once men like you and I, who through their good life attain exaltation of godhood. The pearl of great price and the creation account, writes, And they, the God said, let there be light. And there was light. And they, the God said, in those two chapters, it states God's in the plural over a two dozen times. I said, you heard of the pearl of great price? It's one of your inspired revelations from Joseph Smith. Once again, Mormon doctrine. Three separate personages exist. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost comprise the Godhead. As each of these persons is a God, it is evident from this standpoint that a plurality of gods exists. To us speaking in the proper finite sense, these three are the only gods we worship. But in addition, there is an infinite number of holy personages drawn from worlds without number who have passed on to exaltation and are thus gods. I said, this is not Trinity. This is a tritheism. Not one God revealed in three distinct persons. It's three gods who make up the Godhead. But not only the three gods of this earth, there's numerous gods. And uh, as your theologian and apologist says, and worlds without number, filled with gods who are once men, who attain exaltation to Godhood. Doctrine and Covenants. This is another of your inspired writings. It says God has a physical body. He has to in order to procreate children with his many spirit wives. Okay, so if you go up to supposedly Mormon heaven, you can give God a hug. He has a physical body there. It says, God is a glorified and perfected man, a personage of flesh and bones. Inside his tangible body is an eternal spirit. God was once a man, just like you and I. We're of the same nature as God. Okay? And we can attain exaltation to Godhood as God and Jesus did before us. God himself was once a man as we are now, and is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. I'm going to tell you how God came to be God. We have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see. He was once a man like us, 
Yea, that God himself, the Father, dwelt on an earth, the same as Jesus Christ himself did. Brigham Young, second president of the church, says that God the Father was once a man on another planet who passed through the ordeal we are now passing through. Bruce R. McConkie, their theologian and apologist, says, God and man are of the same race, we're of the same nature, and it is within the power of righteous man to become like his father, that is to become a holy man, a man of holiness. God is married, and with his many wives procreate children for this planet, and so it's the duty of every Mormon woman to have as many kids as you can, because there are spirit children of the Heavenly Father and his wives awaiting to inhabit physical bodies so they can make the journey to Godhood as well. Doctrine and Covenants. If a man marry a wife by my word, ye shall come forth in the first resurrection, and if it be after the first resurrection, in the next, and shall inherit thrones, kingdoms, principalities, then they shall be gods, because they have no end. Bruce R. McConkie writes, An exalted and glorified man of holiness could not be a father unless a woman of like glory, perfection, and holiness was associated with him as a mother. The beginning of children makes man a father and a woman a mother, whether we are dealing with man in his mortal or immortal state. Okay, so women, your goal is to be eternally pregnant, producing spirit children for eternity. How do you like that? James Talmadge, who wrote the Articles of Faith, says, we are to understand that only resurrected and glorified beings can become parents of spirit offspring. And the spirits born to them in the eternal worlds will pass in due sequence to the several stages or states by which the glorified parents have attained exaltation. Okay? I said this clearly goes against biblical teaching. The Bible teaches what? You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe in me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. Bible clearly teaches there is only one God. There was none before him, and there won't be any after. Their countenance then changed. You know, the numerous Mormons I've encountered play the same game. They want to do everything they can to convince you they're Christians. But once you show you're not playing that game, all right, you kind of have some knowledge of their theology. Uh, they finally, you know, become more honest. And they kind of looked and said, you know, um, let me tell you a story. I said, all right, what? He said, son, went to his father and said, daddy, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. What would the father say? No, you can never become like me. The loving father would say, yes, I want you to be just like me. And I said, yeah, but see, humans are of the same essence and nature. God is different from us. He is our creator. We are the creation. We cannot become like the creator, all right? Although it's a nice story, it's not what the Bible teaches so you have to look at what the Bible teaches here, and it's pretty clear. Mormonism contradicts biblical Christianity. And they kind of said, well, that's mean. That's hateful teaching. And I don't like the spirit of your teeth. That's mean. That's hateful things uh, that you're saying there. And I said, I'm simply reading your own material. If that's hateful thing to do, then what? I shouldn't read your material? I'm just quoting your own material. Right? They were just saying, well, you know, this is mean-spirited. We would never do this kind of stuff to you. You know, we don't do these kinds of things. And I said, well, the most loving thing to do is what? Point you to truth, even though it may hurt. And I said, hey, think about this, guys. I, you know, I've talked to numerous, numerous Mormons, and they all do the same thing you do. They deceive. 
You guys came in here. I told you your theology, and you completely denied it. You completely denied it until I could show you you weren't fooling us. All right? What does that tell you about your organization that teaches you guys to go out and do this kind of stuff and use this kind of strategy? Knowing what you're presenting to me is false. You know, if you came to me and asked me to explain Christianity to you, I, I'd explain it to you, the good and the bad. I, I really got nothing to hide. Okay? You guys hide the very core essence of your theology. What's that tell you about your church and your organization? Okay? Now, I was a little bit harder on these guys. Why? Because they are enmeshed and steeped in false teaching. And Jude says to this kind of person, you've got to be, you've got to have a stronger approach because you literally need to snatch them out of the fire. And so the question for us is this, are we contending for the faith? Are we in training, building up and strengthening our faith so that we can go out and engage the culture for Christ? In order to transform a culture, you've got to engage the ideas that dominate that culture and the hearts and minds of the people you are trying to win for Christ. Are we contenders for the faith? You know, our faith is constantly under assault from powerful ideas of the culture, looking to erode the foundations of your faith and those of your family and loved ones. And the church is called to be the guardian of God's truth, to be salt and light, in the midst of a dark world in order to be what Jesus called his people and his church to be. We must know the truth and be able to articulate and defend the truth in a world that is turned away from the truth and rejects the truth of God's word to be pure in our teaching and our living. And the question for the church in the Philippines amidst the tremendous pressure you face, will the church succumb to the culture or will she contend Take her stand and impact her culture for the kingdom of God. Will there be contenders for the faith? Allow me to close quoting this one hymn. It was written centuries after Jude, but I think if Jude were a hymn writer, he'd probably write a hymn like this. An exhortation that comes from Jude came through this hymn writer centuries ago, and it's just as relevant for us as it was back then. And the hymn is called Rise Up, O Men of God. And it goes like this. Rise up, O men of God, have done with lesser things. Give heart and mind and soul and strength to serve the King of Kings. Rise up, O men of God, the church doth for you wait. Her strength unequal to her task. Rise up and make her great. It's the church that needs to be the conscience of society. The church needs to courageously take her stand and courageously continue to defend and present the light of the gospel to a dark and lost society. You can't expect lost politicians to make righteous laws. It's the church who has to be the teacher and defender of that truth that a lost world may hear powerful truth of God's word. So I hope that the churches that call upon Christ here in the Philippines 
will not go into retreat or compromise, but instead courageously take your stand and contend for the faith. God bless you as you contend for the faith. Once again, we've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through our Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time, won't you? On the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Amen.